You know, Jesus Christ knew that the opportunity would come for Judas to betray him. Very, very interesting. We'll talk about that. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, a program designed to help you go through the Bible. Very, very important. Ryan is here with some things he's going to talk about in 20 minutes, Ryan. All right, well, today I'm going to be attempting to answer a question regarding the tearing of the temple veil during Jesus's death on the cross. There appears to be a contradiction over the timing of this event. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, and we'll talk about that. Janice, what did you do? Today I'm going to talk about give or get. All right, Ooh. very good. Well, we have a guest here. Brian Como is here from Kennedy Road Tabernacle. How you doing, Brian? How are you doing? Very, very good. Thanks Excellent. For very good. We'll talk to him in a little bit. So let's open up our Bible guides and open up our Bible. Let's listen to what the Lord is saying to us as we begin to study from Mark chapter 14. This is a very interesting passage today. Mark 14, 10 through 26. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Mark chapter 14, verses 10 through 26.
Mark chapter 13 and 14, that's what we study today as we continue to go through the Bible in one year. It is absolutely fascinating. You know, one of the great practices that the Lord Jesus Christ left us with is the celebration of the Last Supper. Now, in the West, we often call it communion, but it is the first Lord's Supper that is covered in today's reading of Mark chapter 14. This uh, symbolic action of communication was instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and we would do well to keep it fresh in our minds and practice and what it tells us. There are many denominations who celebrate communion in different ways. The important part is that we follow Christ's example, consider communion's deep meaning, and apply its truths to our lives. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ made a covenant with us in that his body was broken for our sins, clearing the way for healing and help. And his blood actually was symbolically in the cup. That's unbelievable. And this has covered our sins so that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, God sees Christ's work in us and not our failed work. That's important. The sanctifying work of Jesus Christ changes us forever and makes us holy in the sight of God. So the Last Supper, or in fact, the Communion Supper, the first one that Jesus Christ himself gave, is very important. And he tells us in the scripture what it means. So today, open up your Bible guide and let's get on with this because this is fascinating. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? Call us or write to us. Or another way you can do it is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on it. It'll take you to a page where you can give and thank you for your donations. Let me say that we appreciate them very much. And we don't tell you how much because we believe the Lord will speak to you and tell you how much. And so I, we just praise God for your giving. That's how we live around here. And uh, it's very, very good. Now, as we open up the Bible and look at the Last Supper, Mark 14, beginning with verse 10, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to show us what he has told us. Father, today we come to prayer and we ask you to show us what you've said. Teach us your ways and show us your paths. This is going to be very interesting for some people who've not really looked at communion in this way before, but help us to communicate what your word says. And this is what we pray. And we thank you, Lord. Help us to hear you today in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Make it so, Lord. Make it so. Okay. Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 10. Let's take a look at it. Here's what the Lord has said to us. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief of priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Remember our first point. Jesus Christ knew the opportunity would come for Judas to betray him. Look, there are no surprises with God. He knows all things at all times. The Lord understands what we're going through. He understands what we end up doing in our lives. And he, there's nothing that surprises him. Now, we watch the news and we're surprised. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. God is not surprised. 
God knows the future. God knows what's going to happen. God knows how it's going to happen. And the Lord protects us and keeps us and covers us. We need to keep that in mind. And that's what he did at the beginning of the Last Supper. Now watch this. We go to verse 12. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they had killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. God knew exactly what was going on. Follow him. Whenever he goes in, say to the master of that house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. This is fascinating. I want to tell you. Jesus set up the Passover meal with all of its details. Now, God prepares us for all things. God knows exactly what we are going to face in the future. He knows exactly what we're going to face five minutes from now. He knows exactly what we're going to face five hours from now, five days from now, five weeks from now, five months from now. God knows everything. So let's keep that in mind because the Lord has set it up and we need to pay attention to what is going to happen. Now we have a free will choice. We will choose how to react to it. God knows how we'll choose, but we still choose. That's very interesting, isn't it? Well, let's go and look at the last part of the scripture because it's great. 17 to 26 in the evening, he came with the 12. And now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and they said to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? So he answered and he said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man who by whom Satan, who, who by whom the Son of Man is betrayed by Satan. It would be better had he not, or it would have been good for him that that man, if he had never been born. Verse 22 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, and they all drank it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of olives. Now, this is amazing. This is Mark. Now, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said he will not take of the covenant meal again until he takes it in the new kingdom of God. Now, that's fascinating, beloved. You see, we're getting ready for the covenant meal 
in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That is a great time when we will dine together. I, I don't know what they're having. I don't know, but I, I, I know that Jesus will be there. And I know that we'll all be there. And so that's what I'm interested in. But we need to remember that when we take communion, we take it and remind ourselves that very soon we will take the marriage supper of the Lamb. What an amazing thing. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And our reading today is Mark chapters 13 and 14. But I actually want to jump ahead to chapter 15 because some have accused this part of Mark's account of being contradictory of Luke's account. And it has to do with the tearing of the temple veil. See, while Mark and also Matthew seem to report that Christ's death occurred before the temple veil was torn, Luke seems to indicate that Christ died after the veil was torn. So who's right? For thousands of years, skeptics have attacked the Bible, claiming that it contains many contradictions and errors. Especially attacked are the Gospels of Jesus Christ. For example, critics say that there is disagreement among the Gospels over the timing of the tearing of the temple veil. In Matthew 27, we read, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Mark records in chapter 15, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And Luke proclaims in chapter 23, Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So here we see in these parallel accounts the apparent contradiction. While Matthew and Mark seem to place the timing of Christ's death before the veil was torn, Luke seemingly places his death afterward. So when was the veil torn? Did it tear before Jesus' death or after? In fact, it happened neither before or after, but at the very same moment Christ died. Indeed, in examining the original Greek, we discovered that the word translated in some Bibles as then is actually a conjunction which can have a copulative or cumulative force meaning that this word can be used to join together two words or groups of words, and it can also be used when the writer wants to build one idea upon another. The word is often translated as and, also, even, both, then, so, or likewise. It is those versions of the Bible which translate this word as then, which seem to imply that one event happened and then another. However, versions of the Bible which render that same word as and reinforce the idea that Christ's death and the tearing of the temple veil took place at the same time. So as you can see, there is no contradiction here because the temple veil tore at the exact moment that Christ died, not before and not after. And the confusion comes when some of the English translations of the Bible make it seem like one event is happening 
and then the other, when in reality these events happened at the same time. Luke simply chose to mention the tearing of the veil first, while Matthew and Mark mentioned it second. Now, Hebrews chapter 6 also supports these events occurring at the same time. Now, here the writer explains that Jesus Christ has gone behind the veil for us to become our high priest. The tearing of the temple veil signified the start of Christ's ministry as high priest. Therefore, to access God, we no longer need to go through a human priest, but through Jesus. The question is, will you make him Lord and Savior today? Don't wait, because time is growing ever shorter. In fact, it is growing shorter, Ryan, and, and I think it's important to realize that when you pray, you're talking to God, and when you talk to God, you lock out all the distractions mm -hmm. from outside. So a lot of people close their eyes. But when you pray this way and you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that you're God and I need you. I believe you died on the cross and rose again in the flesh. And I need you as Lord of my life. When you pray that prayer and you really mean it, God changes everything about your life. So make sure you do that today and write to us after you do that. Janice? You know, when we pray that prayer, something inside of us changes. Mm -hmm. Jesus told Nicodemus, you're born again mm. and you change. You literally are. There's something, there's something that switches inside of you and you begin to understand the purpose, why God created you and you are created. Mm. You were a thought of God, not an accident. Mm. So somebody out there needs to hear that. You are not an accident. You are deeply loved mm. by creator God and you can meet him. It's it's as simple as Rod prayed. And then it's a lifelong commitment to follow after him. And that's kind of where I was going today with give or get. You know, as we go through the Gospels, we see the different perspectives, the same stories, but from a different angle from each of these men who write the Gospels. And, and in this chapter of Mark, we see a plot to kill Jesus by the chief priests and, and those who were uh, the higher up in the, the religious sect uh, of Jesus. And we see Judas, who was counted as one of the 12 who followed Jesus. But you can see here revealed slowly over time that Judas's heart was all about trying to get something by following Jesus. And we shouldn't follow Jesus to see what we can get. In fact, when, when we come to recognize what Jesus Christ has done for us, he gave his all. He gave his life. He was tortured and bruised and battered and shed his blood on a cross, not because of what he did, but because of what we did. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we acknowledge that and we understand that, it's not about what we can get from him because we've gained everything. Mm -hmm. We've gained that new life. We have gained eternal life. We've gained forgiveness of all of the stuff. You know, there's so many things that we do, we look back on and, and we feel that guilt and we carry it around. And sometimes we even feel like we have to hide from God, but he knows who we are. He sees our hearts. He sees our thoughts. And where that can be frightening, if you're trying to hide, just let it go. Come to Jesus and let him be that light in your life. And he will give to you. And it's not about what you can take. 
It's about learning how to receive mm. what he's already given to you. And, and what a privilege mm. that is, isn't it? And I talking think, about privileges. Yeah, I think it is a privilege. And, and one of the things that we want to talk about, Brian, welcome. Good to have you <laughs> great here. To, great to be here. You are the pastor. That was a sermon. Yes, it was. <laughs> that was a powerful sermon. <laughs> but you, you are the pastor of Kennedy Road Tabernacle, right. which is on Kennedy Road in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. Right. Uh, it's a large church. And... Um, Tell me how in the, because you're from Louisiana. New Orleans. So how in the world does a New Orleans kid get up here? Brampton? Well, I just, I miss the cold. We don't have cold down there. No, it's, I was here 20 something years ago as a worship pastor of the church and then felt a call to go back to New Orleans area to pastor a church. It was a small church. Uh, You know, uh, you're familiar with the Sims of God and stuff. And, and they said, it, you know, it's a healthy, growing church. And first Sunday there was 21 people and oh, it was blowing and going. And uh, when you love, I think when you love God and God calls you to a city, not so much how big the church is or what how strong the church is, but when you call to a people, it really doesn't matter the size. And that church grew to be you know, six, 700 people before we left, but we were there 17 years. And then they asked us to come back here to be the pastors. So they asked the board asked you to come back here. And how did you feel about that? Did you expect the call? No, I mean, we, it was in the middle of the night, really a late evening call. And a friend of ours called us, I think you would know his name. And uh, he said, we were just talking. And I said, how are you that doing? That was John? No, it was another guy by the name of Nick. Oh, Nick yeah, and okay, Karen. Sure. And so he called and said, uh, you know, did you know that Kenny Rhodes without a pastor and has been without a pastor two and a half years? Would you ever consider? And I said, I, I don't know. Because <laughs> it's late night. Well, no, my, my thing was, as a music guy, you can get to the place, I think, in anyone's life that you're very, you're, you're never content. You know, I can go here, I can go there. Never content where God puts you at. So you always want to do everybody else's job except your job, which is to lead people in praise and worship or do whatever responsibility it is. New Orleans broke, it broke that out of me. It really, it was the, I just wanted to go somewhere where my family could have a home that I could feel like I could reach a city, pour my life into that city and hopefully uh, disciple and strengthen people to grow in their faith. So life changed in New Orleans. It wasn't so much, you know, because you still get calls. You know, would you ever consider? And for 17 years, I said no until this call. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, KMCT is a station we're on, of course, all over Louisiana at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning and 8 o'clock at night. Right. So people are watching you now. But uh, I, I, you, you mentioned music. And we've only got three minutes left, but tell us quickly, what is your claim to music? Like, if you have a claim to music, what is it? Nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> Nothing. Because I, I know that, it, but who have you sung? I tra- travel by myself, and you sing with everybody. DeGraw Monkey, Whiteheart, all those, you open up for them. Uh, the biggest thing was singing with the Imperials. Were, and it was just for a short period of time. You know, it's kind of like, you again, is before pastoring, so you still have that buzz in you to, you know, do I want to be on the road again? And my thing with being on the road was, I don't see the life's changed. You can go in and do a concert, but you're not there to help disciple, walk with people through it all, see their families grow, see their kids grow up. 
And I wanted that back again. So that's why I got back in into the church. So it's important for you to see people's lives transformed. It's, it's, it's imperative, man. I'm, we walk in church and I see new guests. And the first question in my mind is, who's, who's talked to them? Who's hugged them? Who's welcomed them into the place? I see them from the parking lot. And we have a ton of people, but it's, it's that important. If people feel important, they'll come back. If people feel that they're needed, you said that, you know, it's not what we can get from them. It's what can we, what can we, how can they receive? That's the most important part. And when you have a staff that's hungry for that and not just their little titles or what their job responsibility is, is but are we showing the love of Christ to them? Are we really, re- is their spiritual growth that important to me? And when you do, think there's a genuineness you have a genuineness in you you have a there's a sincerity and it comes out in, in how you speak so in kennedy road tabernacle is an interesting church a big church but it also has a senior citizens complex yeah it's and it's got you know it's involved in a lot of things what's well, the four things is you know it's got the church which is a large church uh seniors complex 12 stories heritage you would know because your dad was a pastor there um kitty's college which is Education, you know, kitties all over the place. Love it. Uh, and then you have uh, um, BCS, which is our, our Christian school, which is right now almost 700 kids at the school. And so that, it's four entities. That Christian school, you do a church service out there on Sunday oh, uh, as well. Sunday's 9 o'clock in Brampton, 1030 at Caledon, and then 12 o'clock at Brampton. Again. Three services. Yep. Both uh, Ryan and our daughter Corey, who's away on maternity, which is oh, why we have the privilege of having I you know. here today. Poor little. They went. <laughs> sorry, Ryan. I'm <laughs> sorry. Great. I'm great. not as. They went to pretty as she is. We did. Oh, they yeah. did. Yeah. We awesome. did for sure. Did. Great school. Did, so. Great. I, yeah. I think a lot of people. It's a real. It's it's got a legacy. Yeah. You know, you talk to people, and it's the purple carpet. It's the purple <laughs> buses. It's the outreach programs. It's yep. this Christian school. So my question to come here is, what are we going to do with that? Yeah. What do we do when a city and a community know so much about a church? Do we want to just stay off the old legacy, or is there something new that God's birthing in it? Mm. I want the new. Mm. And that's what we'll talk. And we'll talk about that and more in the next six programs. But thank you for being here, Brian. And uh, this is going to be a good series. Uh, Corey, of course, is coming back at the beginning of the year, and we're very excited about that with her new baby and all of that. Um, we'll talk more about that on the next program. But thank you for being a part of this. And let's remember that God has called each person. Yeah. Everybody's called. The question yeah. is, have you heard him? Yeah. Today, as we go to prayer, I want to ask you to remember 3.30 Eastern Time on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have our prayer meeting. And uh, if you want to come there and put in in the chat room, your prayer request will pray for you. We're going to pray for the world needs too.
But let me say that today we need to pray this way. Lord, I need your help in overcoming my sin. Holy Spirit, please enter my heart and come in and take over.